0: helping to secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. This is the Constitution Study on the America Out Loud Network with your host, Paul Engel. There are plenty of sayings that express a similar idea. Going back to square one, back to the drawing board, back to basics, or are coming full circle. They all involve going back to the beginning of something, usually to find a solution or at least something better than the situation you currently have. Now, when you're dealing with a problem, going back to where you started, then examining the decisions you made can help you see where you went off course. However, for that to work, you have to have an accurate knowledge of your starting place and the decisions you made. I believe the United States has been heading in the wrong direction for many years, but how do we decide the best way to get back on course? A couple of articles I found made me think about going back to the beginning of the Republic and looking at the decisions we made and are currently making to see if we are securing the blessings of liberty or throwing the sacred fire of liberty off a cliff. Hello there, everyday Americans. Paul Engel here with the Constitution Study. This is where we read and study the Constitution. Teach your rising generation be free. I am so glad you can join me today. You know, going back to the beginning, this idea of how do you figure out where you are and, and where you started and where you want to be. Many may not may not know this, but when I was a teenager, uh, my father got his private pilot's license and I learned how to navigate for him. I actually took classes so I could navigate and run the radios and all that. But I always found navigation interesting. The idea of starting in one place on the globe, f- wanting to go to another place on the globe, and finding the best way to get there. It just intrigued me. And it, it's something I was, you know, fairly good at. I, I I'm not, wouldn't say I was an expert. Of course, it was decades ago that I was doing this. But if you think about it, that's not really that different than, well, how do we plan the course of a nation? We look at where we started. We look at where we want to be. We look at the decisions we've made to see, are we on course or do we need to correct course? I was watching a, a video about the Apollo uh, navigation system. They actually had programmed into the computer, which you would not recognize today. They had a, the, the, a, a course plotted out. This, at this time, this is where you're supposed to be. And the computer would look at the inertial navigation system and say, okay, here's where I am. Here's where I'm supposed to be. What do I have to change to get there? And, you know, it, that's how they did it. Thousands of times a second, or at least hundreds of times a second, the computer would look at where it was, where it was supposed to be and make tiny corrections. And that worked really well uh, until you got too far off course. Then all of a sudden, well, the corrections were too large, and, and the system really couldn't figure out how to get back on course. It needed some human intervention. Now, what brought this up? There's was actually a couple of articles in the New American that, that got me thinking about going back to the beginning. The first one was entitled Federalist Papers or Anti-Federalist Papers, which is the most reliable source for interpreting the Constitution. So, I've been studying the Constitution for several years now. And shortly after I started, I actually read both the Federalist and the Anti-Federalist Papers. For those of you who don't know, um, when the framers of the Constitution, when they drafted the document, they sent it to the states for ratification, there were two groups, two factions that uh, had different ideas. The first group thought that, yes, this is a good Constitution. They wanted a strong federal government because... Well, they had just been through the union with the Articles of Confederation, which created a central government that had responsibility but no power. They couldn't they, they couldn't fulfill their own responsibilities because they had no authority to do so. We we learned about this during the Revolutionary War when we studied it. Uh, Congress would pass taxes to pay the military. They would get the states to agree to pay taxes so that they could fund the military and they could fund the war, but the states frequently would simply Neglect to pay the taxes. We read, a, we, you should have learned about this when we talked about you know, Valley Forge and other scenarios where the, the army, the military was out in the field and they didn't have money for basic supplies, often because the states didn't fulfill their promise to remit taxes to the central government. So, this, of this group, three members of this group, um, you had uh, Alexander Hamilton, John Jay, and James Madison. They wrote a series of essays that were published in New York newspapers, and they were explaining the, the Constitution and why it should be adopted. They were called Federalists because they wanted a strong federal or centralized government. On the other side of the fence were the Anti-Federalists. Now, we know about them as well, but not as directly. See, they were concerned about a strong federal government, a strong central government. We had just fought a war to remove ourselves from a strong central government. They were concerned. They looked at the current constitution and said, we're concerned that it's going to create such a powerful central government that the states would lose their uniqueness. They would no longer be sovereign. They would be subsumed into this union and and not have any power left. They were also concerned, and this is why we know them, because the the constitution didn't have any protections for individual rights. And for those of you who know the who don't know the story, um by the way the anti-federalists wrote their own papers under pseudonyms. And I don't remember all the anti-federalists off the top of my head. But uh, they wrote papers, essays as well about what was what they didn't like about the constitution. So they're often classified as those who were for the constitution and those who were against the constitution, which is a sort of true. It, it's From my reading, it's not so much that the Anti-Federalists were against the idea of the Constitution, they just thought that the one that had been proposed had too powerful a central government and didn't have any, any sort of protection of rights, which got changed. See, after the, the proposal was sent to the states, um, the first few states ratified it, but then states started going, no, we're, we're concerned about these things. There's no protection for individual rights the Anti-Federalists in Massachusetts proposed a compromise. They said, tell you what, we will ratify the Constitution if in the first Congress, you propose amendments for a Bill of Rights. That's why you have a Bill of Rights. That's why it's a Bill of Rights and it's not part of the original Constitution. It was not included and the Anti-Federalists were able to get the, the agreement, the compromise, that said we'll ratify the Constitution If we get a Bill of Rights. And of course, there were actually, uh, you know, the James Madison worked very hard in that first Congress. They actually came up uh, with 12 uh, amendments that they proposed to the states, only 10 of which were originally uh, ratified. The 11th wasn't ratified until, or the 11th of them wasn't ratified until 1992. But that's kind of why we got this structure. Now, going back to this article, it's one of the interesting reasons because when I saw the question, which is it, the 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 Federalist Papers, or the Anti-Federalist, which should we study to help us interpret the Constitution? And I I I think I I agree with the uh, the conclusion of the authors. After describing the whole process in the Federalist and the Anti-Federalist Papers and all that, he said finally there is no need for any American to allow two law professors to tell them whether the anti-federalist papers should be received should receive more attention than they do. Both the federalist and the anti-federalist papers are available online for free and in very affordable paperback editions. Read for yourself and come to your own conclusions about which side's arguments were more accurate or authoritative. There is no need to drink downstream when you can drink clear water right from the source. I like that answer. Because my initial response, my initial answer to this question was, it's not either or, it's both. You have a a document, you have two positions, you have people representing two different positions about the specifics of the document. By comparing them both, do you see? Do you have a chance of finding the truth? I also like the fact is why should we listen to what professors are telling us? How about you go to the documents themselves? and get your information right from the source. He talks about the clear water rather than drinking downstream. I talk about getting your information from the horse's mouth, not the other end. So I would say if we are looking to go back to the beginning and understand where we've drifted so we can figure out how to get back to where we should be, yes, reading the Federalist Papers and the Anti-Federalist Papers, both of them, is a good step. It's one I have done in the past, and in fact, I've actually considered writing a book. I can't find a publisher that's interested in it, though. What I want to do is the same way I wrote the Constitution study, where I took the documents, I took the Constitution, I read it, I studied it, and then I explained it in plain conversational English. Well, the Federalist and Anti-Federalist papers are a little more difficult to read. They were written in more of a I don't know if it was a, it was a higher class, or if it was just the, the, the language of the day. It's not as easy; they're not as easy to read as the Constitution. So what I wanted to do is, I wanted to look at them side by side, topically, right? Not simply, you know, one and one, two and two. I wanted to look at them based on the topics they covered, analyze them, and explain them in plain ordinary English. Now. If you know a publisher that would be interested in that type of project, please let me know. It's on my to-do list. I just can't find a publisher that's interested in it. But it also brings me back to another interesting point. If you're going to find the best way forward, you cannot listen to just one side of the argument. I believe the author is correct. Too often we see everyone from from law professors to uh, everyday pundits Picking and choosing one side of the argument because it agrees with them and claiming that has to be authoritative. Well, so and so said this. Yeah, but what did everybody else say? But that so that's that's James Madison, that's John Jay, that that's Alexander Hamilton. I quote them frequently. The Constitution says based on a quote from a, from John Jay, not from the Federalist Papers, from others of his writings. But I still want to hear the other side. What's what's the scripture saying, Uh, uh, you know, what one man says seems true until you hear the other side? We should look at both sides and then decide for ourselves. Because in many ways, I believe both the Federalists and the Anti-Federalists were right, and both of them were wrong. (laughs) The classic being the the question of rights. See, the reason that the Federalists did not want a Bill of Rights in the Constitution was they were concerned that if we put these rights in the Constitution— Somewhere down the road, somebody would assume that that meant the government could regulate them. You know, they said, we did not give the federal government the power to infringe on these rights. If we put them in there, someone's going to figure they can regulate it. Well, the Anti-Federalists said, listen, if we don't put these in here, someone's going to figure that, well, we didn't say you couldn't, so we can, and someone's going to regulate it. And guess what? Both of them proved to be absolutely correct. Correct. It's one of those things where I think as a scenario, um, maybe there was no great answer. But if we're going to figure out where we were supposed to be going and decide if that's really where we want to go, well, then we need to go back to the beginning. And of course, I always start with the Constitution. I actually start with the Declaration. So I do the Declaration, then the Constitution course, I would love to do the. You know, I'd love you to get into the Federalist and Anti-Federalist papers. There's a lot of good information in there, and actually, I want to get back and spend some more time in them because uh, of some of the great things I've pulled out of that. But there's another step I'd also like to look at. And again, I'd love to find a publisher interested in this. I would actually like to go through the ratification debates, the conventions in the original th- uh, states um, th- to ratify the Constitution, and see what they said about the constitution i want to get their point of view as well maybe then we could have a better understanding of both where we started and where we're supposed to be maybe then we can decide well is that where we want to go or not and if it is the question then becomes okay then what are our course corrections how do we change course to get where we want to go as quickly as possible because when you've drifted this far off course you're not going to get on course again in 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 a short time i know we're all looking for the big fix we're all looking for the big swing the bomb pass you know the you do this one thing and in like a couple of years everything's you know sunshine and lollipops doesn't work that way you don't spend over 100 150 years drifting off course and simply snap your fingers and correct it unless of course you're in a video game but if you don't start correcting now, all we're going to do is get farther and farther off course, and that to me has always been the issue. Too many people saying, "Well, why bother? Uh, we're so far off course. Why bother?" Because if you don't do something, you end up things getting worse rather than getting better. So that's kind of with the starting point. I said there were two articles. The second article I'm going to take. I'm going to take a look at in the second segment but i have to take a break before i do if we're talking though about getting back to the basics getting back to the beginning then please do me a favor and check out the patriots program constitutionstudy.com slash patriots now the patriots program starts out with a boot camp and the purpose of the boot camp is just like a boot camp in the military it's to give you the basic tools you need in order to be part of the military this one's the basic tools you need to be uh constitutional patriot to understand some of the arguments that we're making, why we make them, how we make them, and then a couple of tools that you can use that guess what, are right there in the constitution for you to protect your rights that most Americans they're not aware of, they don't think, they haven't thought of, they're like there, they're like tools on the bench waiting to be used to protect your rights. And people just don't realize that all they have to do is go in and pick them up. And it can change their lives forever. And it can change the lives of many Americans as well. Now, the boot camp, once you take the boot camp, uh, after the boot camp, there's there's a little test to make sure you're actually paying attention. And uh, there's a pledge. And I've had a couple people asking me about the pledge. I'm still working out the details. But the idea is, you, you think about it. We we talk about pledging allegiance to the flag. Or if you're a new citizen, um, you take a citizenship oath where you're pledging Allegiance to the United States of America. I want to have something similar, something that, that kind of sets the expectations. Maybe it's, you know, it's not the Federalist Papers, but it's saying that you and I agree about the importance of the Constitution and about the fact that we are going to expend our, our, our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor to help restore the Constitution to its rightful place in this country. And to help guide us to a constitutionally sound republic. Now, as I've described here and there about the work that I do, the, 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 the tasks I intake to bring you this program and all the other work we do here at the Constitution Study, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of brain power, a lot of reading, a lot of studying, a lot of listening to podcasts. And I don't know about you, but I get to the end of the day and I'm just, my mind is toast. I'm, I'm burnt. But what happens if I still got work to get done? Well, i can boost my short-term focus and my long-term brain power with healthy cells focus and recall vitamins Try right ladies and gentlemen vitamins not caffeine not sugar vitamins and i love it they work really really well now if you go to americaoutloud.shop you can find out how to get 25 percent off your first order from healthy cell basically you go to the website you put your card together you use a code out loud that's important Put your card together and then use the code OUTLOUD. It lets them know you listen to America out loud. And as a thank you, you get 25% off your first order. Welcome back, Everyday Americans. You've rejoined the Constitution study, and today we're talking about going back to the beginning, this search for solutions to the problems we have here in the good old United States of America. The first subject, first segment I talked about, the, the question of the Federalist Papers versus the Anti-Federalist Papers. Which should we follow? And I agree they're both. They should, they, neither of those do- sets of documents are the law of the land, but they do inform us about what the drafters were thinking when they wrote the supreme law of the land. So they're worthy of, of a bit of examination. But there's another concept. There's not something else going on uh, that uh, many people believe is kind of going back to the gen- beginning and rewriting the Constitution. And that's an Article Five convention. Now, there has been a lot of debates, a lot of debates about the, this, this uh, proposed convention. Uh, Some people call it a convention of states. Some call it a con-con, a constitutional convention. Um, Both of which are slightly inaccurate, by the way. As I've said before, what we're talking about is a convention for the purpose of proposing amendments to the Constitution. It's a more accurate title. Now, there's an organization called the Convention of States that has been pushing hard to have such a convention. They've been lobbying states to make their requests. They've been, uh, you know... In the media, proposing this, promoting this, they've been trying to persuade states to uh, pass resolutions, uh, at, you know, at, at an application for an Article Five convention because that's what's required, right? Two thirds of the states must um, submit a, a application for the for the convention. Um, a lot going on, and uh, many people are concerned. They're concerned that they're basically going to wipe out the Constitution and create a new one. While that is technically possible, it is extremely unlikely in my mind because nothing the con nothing the convention does is legally binding until the um uh, uh, until three quarters of the states ratify it. but Paul but Paul, the Constitution was a runaway the Constitution convention was a runaway convention. It's not true. see when they they called the convention originally to um to a, uh, amend the articles of confederation which by the way was was they didn't really have an amendment process they had a clause in there that said it, the the document could not be changed except by unanimous consent of the uh, of the states the members of, of the union which by the way um they got unanimous consent to investigate writing a new constitution to try drafting one as long as the states had um uh, as long as the states had a say, as long as it had to be ratified by the states. They did change the number from 13 to 9, but they also got all 13 states to ratify the new document. So um, let's let's be a little fair. So, okay, we go back to a convention. Let's go back and, and look at the problems in the Constitution. Let's fix it. Well, as I said, first you have to know where you're starting. And the starting point is the Constitution and what the Constitution actually says. The next question is, well, where, where are you going? And this is where things get a little, let's say, muddled, at least in my mind. Now, the organization, Convention of States, maintains that the purpose of the convention would be to, to limit the power and jurisdiction of the federal government, impose fiscal restraints, and place term limits on federal officials. All right, well, let's ask you, if that's the goal, if that's where you want to end up and you know where you are, how do we get there? So let's start with a couple things. Let's start with the uh, limit the power and jurisdiction of the federal government. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the 10th Amendment. It's already in the Constitution. Or is not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, nor prohibited by it to the states, are reserved to the states respectively, or to the people. It's in there. It's already there. The fact that the federal government pays no attention, more importantly, the fact that the states pay no attention doesn't mean it's not there. And let's face it, what are you gonna do? You're gonna add another amendment that says, no, we really, really mean the 10th amendment. We really, really mean it. Is it gonna make people follow it? I don't think so. They say, impose fiscal restraints. Well, for the most part, with, with one notable exception, there already are fiscal restraints. Article 1, Section 8, Clause 1 of the Constitution says Congress can lay and collect taxes to do only three things. To uh, pay the debts of the United States, for the, the uh, common defense of the United States, and for the general welfare of the United States. Capital U, capital S, proper noun. If you look at the writings, you you look at uh, 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 you look at the Federalist Papers. You look at uh, James Madison in uh, on the, uh, in Congress during what's called the Cod Fishery Bill debates, saying that no, this this is not a general prescription. We're talking about the general welfare of the United States. If the United States is to have dockyards and 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 needful buildings, and if we're going to have courts and we're gonna have we're going to pay Congress we're going to pay the president and we're going to pay the uh, um, the, the the courts um, we have to have money to do that that's the general welfare of the United States not the general welfare of the individual states and certainly not the general welfare of the people so for the most part it's in there now there is one fiscal restraint that is not in the Constitution and this actually would be an amendment I would support and that is to limit, Congress's ability to borrow money on the credit of the United States. Now that's There's a whole large debate as to how we do that and do it in a way that not only protects fiscal sanity, but allows for the, the unexpected. Right? So that would be a, a much larger thing. Now, the third item is to place term limits on federal officials. Well, okay, uh, we have term li- limits on the president in the Constitution, but I want you to think about this. Every, uh, uh, well, every elected official is possibly term limited. Term limited every time they stand in the election. If you say, "Listen, nobody should serve more than than two terms as a senator," fine. Stop voting for them. The people get to decide how long those term limits are there should be you shouldn't serve more than 4 terms in in the house fine stop voting for them see the thing about term limits that nobody few people want to talk about is that term limits don't simply limit how many terms an elected person can f- serve it limits who the people can vote for think about it in 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 uh, 2016 People were not allowed to vote for Barack Obama again because he, he was term limited. It wasn't simply that he couldn't serve. The people were denied the choice. Here's the, here's the part that nobody wants to deal with. The reason the people that we have octogenarians in Congress, that we have a, 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 a senator who has definitely, <laughs> they're not on Blum, right? They're, they're definitely way off of Blum. They're not all there the reason we have a president that is obviously cognitively impaired is because the people directly or indirectly chose them the, the you know the people i mean okay diane feinstein uh, had something you know something happened to her medically and she lost it okay president biden we already knew he hadn't quite lost yet but we knew he was getting there when he was uh, when he was elected, but the people of of uh, Pennsylvania elected John Fetterman, a a a cognitively disabled stroke victim. Listen, he had a stroke. I I I hope he gets treatment. I hope he gets better. That doesn't mean he's qualified to be senator. But that's who the people of Pennsylvania chose. I know we they, you know we may not like it, but that's who the people of Pennsylvania chose. To, to, to represent them. So, I don't see the Convention of States fixing the problem because the problem, for the most part, isn't the Constitution. It's the, the problem is, we fail to follow the Constitution. Now, yes, elected officials take an oath to support the Constitution, and they don't, and yet we keep electing them over and over and over again. How can you tell when a politician is lying? Their lips are moving. What does it say about we the people that we knowingly hire liars, cheats, and thieves to exercise our power in our name, to represent us at all levels of government? The problem isn't simply theirs. The problem is ours. You see, when you look at Congress and you you see people going, how could they do that? You look at Congress as what, 10, 15% approval rating? understand that you your neighbors the citizens of the other states chose that person to represent them they chose you chose your member of congress now if that's the best person you could find i think we have other problems but simply going back and saying we're going to re-say what's already said in the constitution is isn't going to change things now the reason i that that this caught my attention wasn't simply that the convention of states have been proposing these amendments or been been pushing to have a convention of states it's that they're actually running a simulated convention in colonial williamsburg that that's right uh they they apparently gaveled in a mock convention emphasis on mock and uh they've they've chosen uh, a president of the convention. And it means absolutely, it's a show. it it It's nothing more than a show. And For two important reasons. One, it's simulated. It's not really a convention. Nothing they come up with means anything. Of course, the other thing is, if there were a real convention, the Congressional Research Service has already said, yeah, Congress plans to meddle in the convention. And it doesn't seem like they're dealing with that in this simulation. So it's more of a a a a cherry-picked this is how things would go in a perfect world where nobody disagreed with us and we went ahead and did this. That doesn't help. If you're looking at a at a chart and it represents what you think things are rather than how things actually are, bad things tend to happen. Whether it be a ship at sea or a plane in the air, if the chart you're following Doesn't accurately match The world as it is People die But there's One other thing that popped into mind Because one of the things the convention of states claims At least most of the people I've talked to Support it Is that it is impossible for the state The states can apply for a convention But they cannot rescind their application Just like uh, Oregon recently did um, They uh. Their legislature rescinded their application for an Article Five Convention. Uh, House Bill twenty, I'm sorry, thirty-six twenty-five is now law, and uh, it it uh, basically said no, we don't we don't want this. It passed the House by thirty-three to sixteen, and the Senate by twenty-five to zero. Was signed by Governor uh, Kotek uh, back in July. It goes into effect apparently September 24th, and it rescinds all of Oregon's existing all their live uh, applications for a convention for proposing amendments to the Constitution, Article Five convention. So here we have Oregon looking and saying, "We thought this was a good idea. We've been thinking about it and said mm, maybe not so much." But I also want you to consider this. So if the if a if a, a convention for proposing amendments is a tool the states have to attempt to modify the Constitution, um, is that the only tool? In other words, is it a hammer for the C, for people who support the COS, for the, the organization COS, therefore it's the only solution? To, remember, to a hammer, everything looks like a nail. What would happen if we the people actually read and studied our Constitution we taught the rise of generation to be free. We learned how to defend and assert our rights with this wonderful tool we have called the Constitution. This tool sitting on a bench waiting to be picked up and used that we just refuse to. We wouldn't need a constitutional convention. I'm sorry, a convention for proposing amendments. Would we? See, that's the importance of truly knowing where you started. Truly knowing where you are and truly knowing where you want to be. Now, not everybody's going to agree with where we want to be. Many may not even agree with where we started or where we are. But that's why it's not. We, we shouldn't be basing it on opinion. We should be basing it on facts and data. So the question is, do we go back to the beginning and rewrite the Constitution? Do we go back and attempt to amend the Constitution? And if we're amending the Constitution, are we amending it based on what we need to get where we want to go. I mean, if you're here in Nashville, Tennessee, and you want to drive to Chicago, and you find out that you're heading east, not north, the answer is to turn north, not to head west. You have to make sure that the, the change you make actually gets you closer to where you want to go, not simply change for change's sake. This idea of of progress for progress' sake, change for change's sake. They never ask the question, is it good progress or bad progress? Is it a good change or a bad change? And we need to spend some time thinking about that. Now, if you want other points of view, I'm pretty sure many of my compatriots here at America Out Loud uh, have talked about their opinion of the Convention in the States. You can, you can always go to americaoutloud.news to find out. In fact, do like I do. I make it a daily stop for news and information. Now, I know people say that knowledge is power, but to me, it's knowledge in action that is power. You can have all the knowledge in the world, but if you don't do something with it, what good is it? So do me a favor, take those, those stories, the articles, the videos, the podcasts, share them, put that knowledge in action. By doing so, that is how we help secure the blessings of liberty. How can you improve your
3: odds of staying healthy? The answer is stay healthy with Cofix RX. Who's got time for a cold, strep, a flu, HRV, RSV, or COVID, anyhow? Cofix has some great news. Besides being featured as a top five product in the drugstore news, we completed the protocol that you've heard Dr. McCullough talk about. Cofix RX is already famous for a powerful virus hostile nasal solution, and now we have a throat spray too.
2: HealthyCell.com, code out loud. The pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-term effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. Fortunately, Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at the Wellness Company designed their spike support formula with the miracle enzyme natokinase, scientifically studied to dissolve spike protein so you can feel your very best go to outloudcare.com today and use code outloud for 25 percent off your
0: first order welcome back everyday Americans you've rejoined the Constitution study today we're talking about going back to the beginning because we're searching for solutions to our problem and trust me here it's Constitution study the ends don't necessarily justify the means I know that's used a lot but we, we talked in the first segment about uh, the pe- Federalists versus Papers versus the Anti-Federalist Papers. In the second, we look at, at this push for a convention for proposing amendments to the Constitution and the changes it would make, and the fundamental document that created this union that we all, or at least many of us, uh, uh, seem to know and love, or seem to love so well, and maybe not know nearly as well as we should. Well, I got a couple of, of articles that popped up here that I want you to. Uh, to to consider because we want to go back to the beginning to find out if it's true. So we're going to start with the presidency. And I found another interesting new American had a lot of good articles. This is the third article I picked up from new American uh, just in the last couple of days. And the claim is that Vivek Ramaswamy, who is running for the Republican nomination for president is not constitutionally eligible to be president. Now, I'm sure people are having Obama you know, uh, uh, birth certificate flashbacks. It's not quite what he's talking about. He goes into detail about uh, uh, Mr. Ramaswamy, uh, who was born in 1985, that his, his parents came to this country um, in, in, in 1983 or, or somewhere thereabouts. And because of that, because it takes several years to become a citizen um the author of this piece uh, who was it this is joe wolverton the second um, claims that it was impossible for mr ramaswamy's parents to have become u.s citizens before he was born in 1985 therefore he is not a natural born citizen and of course this brings up the whole question of birthright citizenship now, we read from the Section 1 of the 14th Amendment, all persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. And, of course, a lot of people have said, well, if they're born in the United States, they are a U.S. citizen. Since they were a citizen of birth, that means they're a natural-born citizen. Um, there's a problem with that. See, the 14th Amendment says and subject to the jurisdiction thereof see if you're it's not simply enough to be born in the united states you also have to be subject to this jurisdiction but that, i don't mean you know you're subject to the traffic laws i've read the 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 debate in congress where they debated the the person who actually at, at, um, requested to add the language and subject to the jurisdiction thereof what was the purpose it was to make sure that uh um, the children of ambassadors, visiting ministers, or even uh, uh, other visitors were not automatically U.S. citizens. You had to be subject to the jurisdiction thereof. Which brings an interesting question. Was Mr. Ramaswamy's parents subject to the jurisdiction of the United States? Now, uh, I, I I will disagree with Mr. Wolverton on one serious point, because he's inferring the status of Mr. Ramaswamy's parents. Uh, when he was born, is it possible that they had been become permanent residents? Um, I don't know, uh, and therefore there's there's some speculation in here. However, if he is correct that um, Mr. Ramaswamy's parents were not, they may have been here legally. They may have been here on a visa, but were they subject to to the jurisdiction? Were they he permanent residents? Were they citizens? If not, then no. According to U.S. law, at least one parent has to be a citizen in order for you to automatically be a citizen. If All this birthright birthright citizenship is nonsense. But if you are born and you have at least one parent who is a citizen, according to U.S. law, then you're a citizen at birth, which is a definition of a natural-born citizen. Before everyone goes screaming about Emmert de Vettel, no one has yet shown me anywhere in any of the debates that uh, the was that vettel's definition of natural born citizen was the standard used congress gets to determine the rules for naturalization which would naturally inc- include whether or not you need to be naturalized they've set the rules the problem we have here is with is um the use of birthright citizenship is a violation of the 14th amendment unless, <clears throat> again, unless they were subject, they had a parent that was subject to the jurisdiction thereof. So that's one. Here's another one going back to the beginning. I love this one. So, again, another indictment for Trump. I think he's going to start wearing these things like, like badges of honor. Maybe, maybe he'll get a necklace, and he'll just you know have, have uh, some sort of token, like like a charm bracelet, and he'll have charms for each of indictments. Well, the latest one uh, has to do with uh, you know, supposedly he tried to overthrow a legitimate election. Yada yada yada. Well, here we go again. The new American in for four this time. Uh, Judge Michael I'm sorry, Michael Erdros of Philadelphia County Court of Common Pleas opined. Uh, Articles says ruled. They don't rule. Opined that the present presidential immunity shields Trump from being sued by an election worker over claims of voter fraud. fraud the forty fifth president made while in office in the days following the 2020 election. There's just one itsy-bitsy teeny-weeny little problem. Presidential immunity is unconstitutional. Read through the Constitution. There is no immunity given to the president of the United States. None. Zip. Nada. This was a fiction of the judicial system a combination of courts and law enforcement that made up this idea that you cannot, that the president somehow has magical immunity, as if he were sovereign. doesn't exist. So you have another court making up more rules that don't legally exist. And again, I can go back, we go back to the beginning, the Constitution. Interesting enough, Congress does have some level of immunity. Under Article 1, Section 6, the senators and representatives shall in all cases except treason, felony, and breach of the peace, be privileged from arrest during their uh, attendance at the session of their respective houses, and in going to and returning from the same. And for any speech or debate in either house, they shall not be questioned in any other place. Because that's limited to senators and representatives. doesn't say president. There is no such thing as presidential immunity. It's a myth. How do we know that? We went back to the beginning to find out the truth. I'm making no comment about the legitimacy or legality of the charges against Trump I'm pointing out this judge simply ignored the He needs to go back to the beginning He needs to go back to basics He needs to go back to the understanding of the original document Not the the horse's mouth Not what's coming out the other end Which he got in law school At least I'm guessing he got in law school now one more thing. This, by the way, did not come from the New American. So yeah, I'm not pushing them. They just had some good articles this last couple of days. I want to talk about what's going on in New York City because it's really getting ugly. There are hundreds, as being reported, that hundreds of illegal aliens are sleeping on the streets. Uh, the 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 mayor has already he's tried bussing them out he's tried putting them in hotels he's done all these things in an attempt to deal with this is, this issue because he and the city council decided that New York City would be a sanctuary city that that uh, uh, they would welcome illegal people here who are here illegally and uh, would not uh, turn them over to the feds and that should surprise nobody enticed people to head over. And now the people of New York City are dealing with the um, the dystopian nightmare that was created by their elected officials, and it's not just the illegal aliens; it's crime. It's the fact that uh, uh, you know they're not punishing certain nuisance crimes or or quality of life crimes, and those crimes are growing. It's uh, uh, the, the more and more rules and regulations that are being put in place. All of these are falling squarely in the laps of the people of New York City. And again, I was born in New York City. I lived there until uh, I was 11 years old. I visited many times. I still have family that lives in New York City. But I have to point out some, one very inconvenient truth. They voted for this. This, ladies and gentlemen, is not a surprise. The people of New York City said, this is how we want to live. These are the people. Remember, I I don't believe it says it in the New York Constitution, but most of the state constitutions say that all powers inherit in the people. They hire representatives to represent them at the city, the county, the state, and 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 the federal level. The people of New York City have hired a, a a mayor, a city council, and other office officers to represent them, to exercise their power and their name, and they chose people that said, "This is what we want. We want to not punish crime, which is great if you're the criminal, not so much if you're the victim. We want to not uh, uh, punish I- illegal." Aliens, we're gonna, which of course is gonna encourage them to show up, right? You have a choice. You, you get, you get sent here, and uh, they say we'll bus you to one or two cities. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll 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 bus you to Texas, or we'll bus you to New York City. Do you want to go to New York City, where where by the way they've said they're not gonna gonna turn you over to the feds, they're not gonna enforce the law. See, this is the logical outcome. And as much as people are complaining about. Mayor Adams and, and others in the city council, and they they have a right to, we have to remember, this is what the people of the city of New York asked for. We can say the exact same about the murder rate in Chicago. This is what the people of Chicago asked for. They hired people they knew were not going to punish crime. Same in LA, same in, in San Francisco, as, as terrible as these cities have become, in many cases, it's the, the people voted for this. They've asked for this. And now that they've got the uh, the stench up their nostrils, they're complaining as if it's somebody else's fault. Now, there is historical evidence of the fact you can fix this. When my family moved out of New York City, it was mid-70s. And, uh, yeah, there were parts of your York City that were pretty ugly. There was graffiti on, on all the, the subways. Um, you know, 42nd Street was not a place you went. You did not walk through Central Park at night. In fact, there were parts of Central Park you didn't go ever. And then they hired a police. They hired a police chief. They had a mayor and a police chief. And they started enforcing the laws. And in a few years, it became a much nicer place. You've got a Times Square. again. Times Square used to be full of you know uh, junkies and hookers. Now it's a pedestrian uh, mall. It's 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 beautiful. Well, if you like that type of thing, I mean it it's a nice place to, to walk. Um, there are police around. It's relatively relatively safe. Um, much nicer than when, when I when my family moved out back in the mid seventies, and now it's turning back into the old hellhole it was because we have to take we have to go back to the beginning and realize that the people that are putting these policies in place are the ones we are choosing to represent us now if we don't have a better choice that's our fault as well because let's face it problem number 1 we have allowed the political parties to take over the election process yes state laws have basically set up so the, the political parties get to choose they tell you that this is part of the constitution It's not what the constitution created to say that the political parties get to decide who you get to choose oh no we have we, we have primaries that have... no primaries are not open if you are a republican in new york city one you're probably a pretty rare critter but you don't get to decide who the democrats nominate you get to decide who the republicans nominate But what if there's a democrat that you like but it's not the ones that the democrats wanted you don't get that choice because the 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 political parties have taken over the election process and problem number two we have so fallen into the spirit of revenge that is natural to our party of dissension that we've created this despotism whereas somebody who said you know what i maybe they would be a good cant maybe they would be a, a good position for uh, uh, one of these offices right M- mayor city council dog catcher sheriff whatever but they look at it and say listen if i show up and i try to run one i have to join one of these two parties to stand much of a chance ew and i know i'm going to be lied about vilified my family will be lied about and vilified I'll be dealing with all sorts of horrible attacks for even trying to do this because I know the other party is going to be all after me. Why would I put my family through that? Because we, the people, have allowed this spirit of revenge, the the dissension that is natural to party politics, to control our lives. Ultimately, ladies and gentlemen, if you go back to the beginning, in the beginning, we, the people, The constitution starts out with those three words we the people the preamble ends with do ordain and establish this constitution if we're going to go back to the beginning if we're going to search for a solution we have to recognize that even before the constitution was we the people that Before these people were in office, before the Bidens, the Feinsteins, the Fettermans, the the Adams, and and, and whoever were the people, we the people, we are making these choices, and we are suffering the consequences. Who was it that said, uh, you get the government you deserve? If you look at this mess, realize we deserve it either because we personally voted for these people or because we didn't do enough to find somebody better to replace them. We willingly voted for the liars, the cheats, the thieves, the people we that made promises to us. We know they would never be able to fulfill. And we hired them anyway. And then we complain when they don't do what they said they were going to do, but we knew what they weren't going to do in the first place the problem eventually always falls in the laps of the american people the question is will we get up dust ourselves off take those, the the torch with the sacred fire of liberty and raise it high or we decide it's just too much work i can't be bothered ho hum let somebody else do it and wallow in the mud while well, the united states while freedom and liberty and the rule of law jump off a cliff. Now, I hope you will come back and join us here at the Constitution Study. We're on every weekday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time on America Out Loud Talk Radio, heard on the iHeartRadio network. If you can't listen then, that's fine. All the episodes go to podcasts, generally a day or two after they're heard on the radio. You uh, You can find the podcast in your favorite podcast app, but do me a favor, subscribe to the show. Leave us a rating or a review, especially, by the way, on Apple Podcast. It helps other people find the Constitution Study and maybe they'll join us in our in our cause to find out the truth. You can find all the links at the homepage at americaoutloud.news. But just as I said, knowledge without action is not power. Knowledge in action is power. You can take action as well. You can start by sharing the links you find and by sharing that information You do more than just share the Constitution study. You help to share the blessings of liberty.